welcome all you cool cats and kittens, I mean Catholics and Christians, to Podcast the Net. On this show, we'll listen to the stories of ministers who serve the church, disciples who cast the net for Christ. Cheers. 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 Got cheers, our tea cheers. and decaffeinated coffee. Yes. Are we on? Are we on right now? We're live? We're on right now. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. I think it's important for us to uh, state some facts. Say so. We haven't even done the intro. I haven't even intro to you yet. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> All right. So, welcome to the show, the illustrious Steve Doe. <laughs> <laughs> Love that intro. Thanks, Steve. Uh, hold on. Steve. Uh, wait, I know this. Is it... Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but is it Yang? Yang. 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 Showcase. Doe. <laughs> Showcase. Deeps. Um, okay. Before we start, I, I think it's important to state some facts because this is a very kind of a unique setup that we have here. Oh, yeah? That I think it's worth noting. So where are we, Debu? We are in South Lake Tahoe at Zephyr Point Conference Center. During what? During DYR. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Then it puts us in a place and podcasts are supposed to exist out of that. Oh, that's true. Because okay. people listen to it wherever okay. they listen to it. Yeah, but you, you know, know, sometimes it's... sometimes they um, they are intrigued by what happens, what's going on behind the scenes. So yeah. that would be cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, piggybacking off a retreat too. Yeah. <laughs> promote my own ministry which i actually don't like i don't like it when people do that but we're uh, doing this late at night after the kids have gone the kids sorry the teens the, have, teens. the youth the youths uh have gone to sleep so yes uh, so not taking after away, hours yeah not taking the the time away from them because uh yeah i'm not a big fan of that all right so we have steve here uh thank you steve so much for being on uh on the on the show podcast or call shows yeah the yeah, show sure. um and uh and, and yeah just being willing to share your story well, thank you. I actually feel very honored because I think, I believe, I don't think, I believe this is my first ever podcast interview. No way. Yeah. So I've never yeah, been. Yeah, I so, got the uh, first. Yeah. So Deepu, uh, Podcast The Net has interviewed me for the yes, first time ever. The, so. the new coordinator of youth and young adult ministries for the Diocese of Sacramento. Starting June 20th. Starting June 20th. <laughs> A which, week from today. Which... I might post this before that, but well, you already posted like, it on. You already put it on social yeah, media, yeah, so, so that's why so, I figured it's fine. Yeah. Okay. The first time we met Steve was actually here at DYR. Yes. Uh, oh my we gosh. were. Uh, this was two thousand and not six. Two thousand six, my first year. Um, and again, for those who might have not listened to other podcasts, DYR stands for Diocesan Youth Retreat, where the Diocese of San Jose brings a few hundred, a couple hundred youth or so, uh, and leaders for a week in South Lake Tahoe to grow closer to God and connect and do it through the beauty of His creation. Um, anyway, so yeah, so two thousand and seven, I think, was the year that we met, uh, and we were actually roommates that year. Is that correct? Is that is that 2007? I want to say it wasn't 2006. That was my first year, but I wasn't with you. I know that. I know. I remember my first year. No, I think we might have been like at this place together at one point, but I don't think we were roommates. Are you talking about that that time when yeah. you made fun of me? I didn't make fun of you. I was <laughs> gently teasing you because uh, I was trying to because you were calling your was she your wife then, yet? No, girlfriend then. Your girlfriend then. Yeah, and you're being all lovey dovey, and I was lonely and single at the time, so I was jealous. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so um, it was way back. I, I don't even remember. I 2007 think it was, or 2008 yeah. then-ish. Yeah, 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 One of those yeah. years. Yep. But anyways, we met at this very event. Yeah, yeah. we met as leaders on this event. And uh, yeah, I've known Steve for, so I guess that's almost 15 years-ish, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, you've you've gone through quite a few different changes over the time. So yes. we're going to get into it and just want to hear that story, uh, that journey and um, yeah, wherever, yeah, wherever would, you want to start with it. Yeah, no, no I, would, I would love to. Um, so actually it's funny because I've, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, uh, recently. Um, and it's made me go back in time and look back at my journey. And if I could kind of summarize my journey over the past two decades and a few years, I would categorize into four, four parts. And I'll still, I'll still this term from my brother in Christ, Robbie. Uh, who will be, be a future guest on the show. Yeah, who will be a future guest on the show. Uh, but but he's coined the term BC, BC life, uh, meaning before Christ. And I love that. because I, I, I don't think uh, Robbie coined the term BC before Christ. I think people have been that's using true. that for a while. That's true. 
that's true. Um, uh, he he uses that uh, well-known term to refer to our life before we encounter Christ. Um, but for me, after reflection, I love that. But I think for me, I interpret it as BC meaning, meaning before conversion because I've always uh. been uh, – I was baptized. I was baptized in the faith. I grew up Catholic. So uh, even though maybe I didn't have a personal encounter with Christ – doesn't mean that I wasn't. That doesn't mean that that was that was before Christ. You know what I mean? So yeah, I was yeah, always yeah. I was always part of Christ. Like when you intentionally decided to live it out. Exactly. Wait, so ooh, I, ooh, wait, can, may I? May yeah. I give a suggestion? Yeah, like, yeah. Because I converted. You know, it's a conversion kind of like I get what you mean, but maybe like BC before conviction. Oh, Ooh, dang. Let's go. Dang, the goat just <laughs> took it to a whole nother level. I love no. that. Okay, before conviction. Okay, so there is a time in my life, um, BC, before conviction, um, that obviously shaped me who I was growing up uh, and to become a young, uh, as a young adult. But then my conviction moment <laughs> happened when I was a young adult. And I think that really opened the doors to a life with Christ in a way that I would have never imagined that led to, which is the third chapter, is professional ministry in the church, uh, which pretty much defined my career for 20 years. And then transitioning out from that uh, more recently within the last four years, and I don't know how to coin this, that, that. <laughs> I don't know how to coin that phase of my life. Oh, actually, no, I do. I would say it's the AC, word. after conviction. Easy. The word, no. <laughs> uh, I would coin it my period of anonymity. And I can go into that a little bit later. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, period of an anonymity. But, um, but yeah, so in summary, that's kind of the four stages but I guess we can start from the beginning. I, again, was born and raised Catholic by two um, immigrants from Vietnam. So my parents were originally from Vietnam, very devout Catholics. And um, they came over to this country during the Vietnam War and was able to escape, thankfully, and was adopted by a Lutheran family here in the United States in Pennsylvania. Uh, we still keep in touch with them today. We call them our Oma and Opa because I think they're from German descent. Um, and basically, long story short, I mean, they adopted us, but then uh, they wanted my parents to convert to their denomination. But uh, being devout Catholics culturally, the, that was a absolute non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so there was initially a fallen out so they left and moved to texas well my, my older sister was born in pennsylvania and then they moved to texas uh in a t small town called uh, um hell center city no amarillo i'm sorry but i was born in hell center city which was kind of like a suburb uh from amarillo and i was born so i was born in texas probably till like about three years old i don't think i ever knew this yeah born in texas yeah, I'm a Texan. Oh, that's, where you get, that's where you get your uh, drawl from. I get it. <laughs> and then uh, I think around three or four, they moved to San Jose um, just because they heard about, you know, California weather was way better. And they knew people uh, also from Vietnam that had um, traveled over there. So they relocated to San Jose. And San Jose has been my home, my where I grew up, where I was raised. And where I was um, received my first communion was confirmed, and yeah, so that's kind of like before I had my conviction, and I always believed, but you know, like a lot of young people who grow up in the faith, we just kind of go through the motions. Yeah, yeah like yeah. we, especially uh, I guess in Vietnamese culture, I think it it we talk about cultural Catholics a lot when we're in ministry, but I think. Being in, you know, uh, ethnic culture like Vietnamese, Vietnamese culture, it's even deeper. Like it just it's a it's a part of the cultural identity. It's yeah, not it's just, a it, part of our cultural identity. It's it's part of it, but at the same time, it's not in the sense that um, to what extent is 
that faith lived out mm-hmm. on a personal level, you know, uh, and on a daily basis. Yeah, but I, I believe my parents were very serious about it, and they did their best to teach the faith to us, um, hoping that it would stick. And I guess in, in, to a certain extent, it did. I, and I didn't realize it till after, later on, many years later, um, when I had already got involved in my faith and ministry and even now having kids, you know, I can look back and remember moments where my parents were very intentional. And I, I give thanks for those moments uh, now that I'm an adult. But anyways, um, yeah, so I, I kind of was uh, just raised in the faith. Thankfully, uh, even though my primary language was Vietnamese because we grew up in this country and going to you know English-speaking schools and everything and not talking as much like as I grew older my it's it switched so English became kind of my dominant and I was starting to lose my Vietnamese so we so I learned the faith in the English language okay so I went to you know English catechism confirmation programs um where typically a lot of even my relatives uh, with kids who were born here are taught in their native language. So, which is interesting. I, yeah, just an interesting distinction. But anyways, I, I um, went through my first communion and confirmation at St. Mary Grady Parish in San Jose. That was considered my home parish where we would always go. And um, yeah, and then after confirmation, it was kind of like a lot of young people who go through confirmation. We just felt like we were done. We were done mm-hmm. with yep. catechism. We were done learning about the faith. And it was just time to move on and just live our lives. And, and that's what I did. So I kind of, um, you know, I never really got into anything like bad in, in a sense. Um, but I, I live life without purpose or without a strong self, a sense of self-identity. Mm. You know, growing up, I just, I just grew up with um, very low self-worth, just not having a strong self-esteem. And a lot of it has to do with just feeling like, what do I have to go? What are my gifts? What are my strengths? You know, Um, and not having that instilled in me on a regular basis, you know, because a lot of times, you know, you know, it's also cultural, cultural. It's it's not at least from my experience. I don't know what it's like for a lot of people, but from my experience growing up, parents don't affirm their children all the time or often. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So it's 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 very much it's very much um, you know your your parents love you just because of all the things that they do for you like sacrifices and working hard and all that stuff and you know and we know that but it was never communicated verbally as often as I guess as kids we would want. like or want or need mm-hmm. so yeah so I always grew up feeling like you know am I worthy or am I good enough. Um, and so I think that just played into how I was as a person, that I was a very shy person. I was very timid. I remember growing up, always wanting to be like somebody else. Like if I, if I, if there was someone, like one of my friends or a classmate that, you know, was either popular or just had some kind of talent that I was envious of or admired, I tried to be like that person. Um, and I can remember moments where it would it would be one person and then the next thing you know I find another person with some charism or some gifts or some talent that I really admire and I, I try to emulate them. And so that's kind of where I was growing up mentally and even spiritually. And that really affected me in terms of just everything. Like my my academics, I was never really good at school. And I think the more I kind of was half-hearted in a lot of things, Mm-hmm. And not really having strong ambition or a clear sense of direction or what I wanted to do. I was just kind of coasting through life. Um, and it wasn't until I think in high school when I started to get into the dancing scene. So for those of you who kind of caught it at the beginning, uh, Deepu referred to me as Showcase. And so for some context to that, Showcase is actually my my nick, my street name, I guess you could say, or your stage dance, name. Your street dance name. My street dance name. Uh, <laughs> so I was called Showcase because I really got into hip-hop dancing when I was... Uh, actually, I started out as a b-boy, as a break dancer in high school, and then eventually led into more um, like new school choreography type hip-hop dancing with a group. I had my own crew. We were called Stage One. And I think it was being immersed into that world and developing that skill and being good at it, I, I guess I finally felt I belong. I mm. finally found something that I was good at 
and I became passionate about it, and that became everything to me at that time. And, and I assume you also felt accepted by the people you danced with, or yes, yes. So there was definitely a community. There was a brotherhood, um, and we would just get together all the time, and we would practice. We would come up with routines, and then eventually that led to being more serious about it and doing actual shows, and then competitions, and being invited to perform and they would like fly us out and everything so it was you know it, it went it went for a few years and it just I just thought that that was going to be my my path like I just thought you know I want to do this I want to do this professionally you know I dreamed of being like one of those backup dancers for Mariah Carey because Mariah Carey was the you know she was she was one she, of the, the, she was the Beyonce yeah she was the Beyonce back then and she always had um amazing dancers in the background i would always imagine myself being one of those people and would think oh god that would be my biggest dream and i would feel so fulfilled pursuing that um so meanwhile i was struggling with school i really didn't have no direction but i was putting so much time and effort into dancing and i thought that was going to be the path and then um in my early 20s maybe like when i was 19 20 um was when things started to shift and it shifted because my parish, St. Mary Grady, at the time, they just started a new youth ministry program. And at the time, it, there was a Catholic youth ministry program that was on the rise called Life Team. Oh, Life Team. Never heard of it. <laughs> and uh, so the youth minister at the time, his name is Mike Navarro. And I guess the crossroad was when uh, my one of my high school buddies, which was also part of my dance crew, his name was Lin Huang. And this guy was like in high school. He was the the uh, the ladies guy. Like this guy would always be dating and you know chasing girls. But he's also super smart. So he had he had everything right. He had the 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 intellect and the charm, and and he was part of our dance crew. So it was cool. But I would have never thought that this guy Lin Huang would go through a conviction experience. <laughs> That led him to just be so on fire with the faith that uh, he would evangelize. He would, like anybody he knew, he would try to get them involved in ministry or invite them to retreat. And I was one of those guys that he would call up. And you could tell in his voice, like, this guy is not the same because of the way he talked. Just the energy that he had, the life that he had in him. It was weird because it was it was weird. And I was taken aback by it. Kind of, you know deterred by it by, to a certain extent, but I don't know. I think it's because of his transformation. There was something attractive about that. Mm. And I tell this story all the time when I, when I talk about my, my, conver- my conversion story, my conviction stories. Lynn was the one that evangelized to me multiple times, and he was so persistent at it, but I kept on rejecting him mm-hmm. one right after another. I said, no, because, you know, I'm just, I was just too cool for that. Like, I'm part of a dance crew, you know, I'm part of this hip-hop dance community, um, and faith and church wasn't really much a part of that life. And so I just kind of kept my distance, but he wouldn't stop. Like, he wouldn't stop. And I remember vividly, at the time I was an adult, so I was going to Mass out of obligation, uh, culturally, every Sunday, and I would go by myself, and I went to their youth Mass uh, on Sunday evening. And I would always stand in the back. I would be I would be the last person to arrive and the first person to leave. <laughs> and I would always stand in the back. And Lynn, you know, this uh, what's unique about the Life Team Mass is that during the right before when the Eucharistic or the the liturgy of the Eucharist happens, the priest would invite all the youth and or young adults around the altar. And I would see this happen. And I think you know, oh, it's cool. You know, they're trying to reach young people. But I was like, ah, oh, not me. I'll, I'll stand in the back. But without fail, Lynn would always come up to me and invite me up to the altar. And so many times I would say no. And then one time, uh, he, he just used his last, his last uh, what do you call it, strategy or method. And he says, okay, you know, um, and I told him, you know, no, I'm not going to go up. He said, all right, if you're not going to go up, then I'm going to stand in the back with you. And I'm like, oh, man, you're going to pull that card? <laughs> I'm like, you going to pull that? And then I felt guilty because I knew how important it was for him to be up there with all these young people because obviously he was passionate about it and this is 
his thing. And I just couldn't, like the thought of me being the reason why he would be held back from that, like it was enough. It was enough for me to say, okay, I'll go. Do you think that he was trying, like, intentionally trying to be, like, make you feel guilty? Or was it just like, well, I'm not, I, I, or was it like him trying to say, all right, I, I, I will, I'm going to be with you. Like, you know, like, you know, the, I will journey with you. I'm going to walk with you in this kind of thing. Like, or do you think knowing him, was he kind of like, ah, oh, I'm going to do this and probably get him to come? I can't say it's either or concretely because i don't think there was malice in it hey, hey you can you can say whatever you want he's not right here i know, you know. <laughs> hey, man, i'm gonna throw you uh, another bus man no um no I, I think i definitely felt guilty but i don't think it was out of malice or any ill intent i think when i think back now i think the way i see it, the way the way i see it now is he wanted it so bad for me because i was his friend mm. that he was willing to sacrifice his spot at the altar to be with me wow. and it that did the job because i said yes finally and then when i walked up and i just was huddled around all these young people some of them were younger than me and they were already up there i think that was when the doors of my heart was cracked open because first and foremost i don't recall ever a time i was that close to the altar table mm-hmm. and to the tabernacle and just up there during the, the, the highest point of the Mass, the source and summit of our faith, which I didn't understand at the time. But my yes to that um, opened my heart, and I, I felt something. I couldn't describe what it was, but I felt something. And I think that was the moment when I was curious. So that curiosity led me to check out the youth night. And then little by little, I just started coming. I just started coming you know, regularly every Sunday. So I would say Lynn was the first, my first encounter encounter of Christ. Um, but then what led, so he, I would say, if I can use an analogy, he led me to the water, but the one who encouraged me to dive deep into it was Mike Navarro. Mike Navarro has been my mentor, my close friend for so many years, simply because of that fact. Because when I was attending youth night, I wasn't even teen, but I was going just to support my friend, but also to check out what this youth program is all about. And back then, they didn't have the safe environment stuff, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, so it didn't matter. I didn't have to do any background checks. I didn't have to do fingerprinting or whatever. Um, but I was just there, and I was just helping out. And, you know, of course, after every youth night, there's cleanup and everything. So I would I would stay back and start cleaning up. And then one night, I was just putting, up chair, putting away chairs. And then Mike walked by, and he stopped me. He said, hey, I've been watching you. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was just totally caught off by that statement. But... He, he just stopped me right then and there. He looked me in the eye. He says, I've been watching you. And I was just silent. I didn't, I didn't even know how to receive that. And he says, I think you have leadership potential. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you want to join my core team. And also immediately I felt that just deep sense of unworthiness. Like I'm not qualified for that. Like, like, I'm, like who am I to mm-hmm. be part of your core team? Like that's just – it just – it did, it just didn't I just couldn't comprehend that 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 idea of me being part of a committed group of people who put this on for young people when I just barely started when I'm just there for curiosity for curiosity's sake but then I said yes so it was I think it was the next Tuesday they have their core team meetings on Tuesday and I went and kid you not like I didn't I haven't like I like Walking in that room, I felt like I was Judas because <laughs> I just felt like so unholy, so unworthy. I'm like surrounded by these saints. Um, but I guess the grace in that is that all I did was say yes, and God did the rest because that was my first core team meeting, and I never stopped since, ever. Like that was the beginning of my ministerial journey. Okay, wow, okay. Wow. I know I talked a lot. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's good. Um, uh, it's just hearing the that that persistence on Lynn's part. Like, I think so often as ministers, you know, and he's your friend, so there, it's a slightly different there, right? He's your peer and your friend. And, but I know for myself, so often I would invite a teen or somebody to to come to Life Teen or a youth group or to whatever it was. 
and you know they're like nah i'm okay and i wouldn't really go and ask them again i was like okay they said no you know instead of like you know not like trying to push them or anything like that or force them but just kind of be like hey we're doing this if you want to come like you know and just continuously offer continuously invite i know i didn't do as uh, as much as i i probably could have because uh i already had a hard time just doing like even though i was like working at the church or when i was volunteering i had a hard time just inviting people because i don't i don't like rejection right and even though they're not rejecting me they're rejecting the youth group like mm-hmm. it feels that way right it's like so i would I, I i'd have to work up to even doing that once let alone multiple times after they've already said no like so yeah no i i think you hit it right on because i was just thinking that too i think and i and i am at this too throughout my minister career i think just the fear of rejection can be so strong that after one try, we're like done. You yeah. Know? But I think just the lesson, just recapping the lesson that I've learned or, or witnessed with Lynn, his courage and persistence, I mean, paid off for my life. Like it changed, it literally changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, as ministers, it's just a good reminder. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so moving forward, you started helping out youth ministry. And when did you, your first role, uh, like where you were being paid, was that Holy Spirit? No, well, do you consider part time like very, yeah, very, yeah. very part time? <laughs> like an hour? What do you mean? Like part-time? I don't know. I don't know what I can't remember what I got paid at uh, SMG, but um, I think they gave me some kind of stipend. I don't remember, but yeah. So what was your role in that? Yeah. So so from that point on, I was a volunteer core leader, and kind of going back to kind of my passion, I I, I found a new passion, and I was conflicted with my passion for dance. And, you know, I look back and I wonder... If you should have done liturgical, liturgical dance? Yeah, if I... Yeah, 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 yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> People out in the audience who know me, can you imagine me doing liturgical dance? That's crazy. Um, no. Um, well, I guess at the time... I, and I'm not saying that you have to do this. Like, I, I'm not saying because you're, you're following Christ and you have other passions that you have to give that up. I don't think that's totally necessarily accurate for everybody. But I guess for me at the time, I felt like a choice. Like it mm. felt like I needed to follow Christ or pursue dance. Right. Well, I, you talked about it before, like you gave so much time to an effort, uh, energy and focus to dance that maybe you just knew that you, it wasn't something that you could do both well. Yes, I think it was that. But what's interesting is that I was so passionate about dance, but I started getting passionate about my faith and ministry that I was sensing this was giving me so way more life than dance did. Mm. Um, even though it did, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, to this day, I'm, I still consider myself a dancer. I love, I love dancing. I watch other people dance. Like, it brings me to life. But like, I guess one of some of the messages that we've heard this week is only Jesus can satisfy our deepest desires. Mm. And I think in that moment of life, I was starting to realize that because I was pouring so much time and effort into ministry as well. And it was, I was, I, I was at a crossroad because I remember I auditioned for this show. Comes to find out that I got a call back and I was selected to go. And it was going to be a paid gig. This could have been the start of my dancing career as a paid professional. But when I found out that the show was on a Sunday during mass and would go throughout the whole night, so which would bleed into youth night, and I had already committed myself to attending mass and being part of youth night, helping out and serving. And, you know, you think back now, like, oh, you could have missed one Sunday. Like, right. What, you know, what, what was the big deal in that? But for some reason in my heart, I said no to that event so that I could be at mass and be at youth night. So I was so involved. I was like pretty much Mike's right-hand man. But then in the year 2000, uh, there was just a lot of transitions that were happening in the ministry. And Mike had decided to step down. And, and the ministry was, it was thriving, it was growing, it was strong. And we didn't want to lose the momentum. And everyone in the community was pointing at me <laughs> to take over. And again, this I'm I'm 
just a volunteer. Uh, I was going to school. I had part-time jobs. So I was just doing this as a volunteer on the side. And I was happy with that. I was happy being the right-hand man with no title. You know, someone else was responsible. And I just kind of did kind of the side things. And I was totally happy with that. But when people started pointing to me and saying, you need to be the new youth minister. You need, you need to you meet, you need to be that guy. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Just because I think the thought of the responsibility of it was so daunting and so I was so afraid. And I think I was afraid because I was afraid to let people down. I was afraid to fail. I was afraid I wasn't good enough um, or I wasn't qualified to do the job and to do it well, that it paralyzed me. Like I just didn't want to do it. Of course, through God's grace and providence, uh, that year I went on a pilgrimage with three of my friends uh, to Europe. We went through a, a lot of different places, um, but the one event that really changed my life was my walk to Camino de Santiago. I did about 100 kilometers, um, but it was doing that alone with God that by the end of that walk, it was made crystal clear to me, like with no exception. I came into that trip and to that walk with all these fears, with all these doubts. But on the other side of it, I went away with just even stronger conviction that God was calling me to this. So after that trip, when I flew back home, I knew I was going to call up my pastor at the time, Father Kevin Joyce, um, and say yes to him and say that if you still need a youth minister, I'll do it. And that's when I became professionally a part-time youth minister at SMG, which then led to uh, a full-time position at Holy Spirit. I'm summing things up now because I know I've been talking a lot. But uh, a full-time, a few years later, a full-time uh, youth ministry experience at Holy Spirit Parish for four years to then becoming an associate director for the Diocese of San Jose for Youth and Young Adults in 2010. And then 2013, became the director until 2019. I could have summed up the last part. <laughs> I mean, but there there is something to that, right? There is the 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 growth that happens, right? And then once once you're in, right, there is not as much discernment in a sense. Like you're still discerning each position you got, but it's less of this. I've never done this before. Why would I do this kind of thing? you know you know and you know, going from dancer to volunteer minister to then like, oh, okay, I'm making this like an actual thing to, you know, and then, but then once you're in, you know, it's, although they were all different positions, it's almost less drastic. Yeah. Know, I would, for your, um, less drastic for what your focus in life is on, mm -hmm. I should say. So Yeah, I would say a lot of it seemed to have happened kind of organically or just, it's, it just felt like providence. Like mm. every step of the way and every transition felt like God was leading me and guiding me. Yeah. Um, so let's go through each one. I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to spend too much time on how you went from one position to the other, but let's, I'd like to talk a little bit about how each position was for you and some of those experiences. So as a part-time, uh, minister at SMG, what were some of the challenges there? Like it, it, it was, you know, they're like, oh, you should be the minister. And then you get hired on. And then it's like, oh, well, you can't do this. And you can't do that. Or, you know, like, was there a lot of pushback? Was it like you were very young still? Like, did you feel um, ignored at times? Or did you feel like, you know, the staff entrusted it with you and let you run it? Yeah, no, I, I actually felt there was a, a tremendous amount of support. Uh, and that I, attribute that, I attribute that a lot to the pastor at the time, Father Kevin Joyce, because he was so convicted uh, with youth ministry. And I think because he, he, he witnessed the fruits of the work that just the youth ministry team did over that time, that he was sold, like he, he was committed. Um, and, you know, granted, we weren't, we were one of the, in terms of uh, numbers, we were one of the largest parishes in, in the diocese, but not necessarily financially, you know, mm -hmm. fit. So we, you know, we worked on a budget, very, very slim budget, um, but we always felt supported. And, okay. You know, we worked with what we 
got. But I think for me, when I first started, the the challenge, the biggest challenge was at that like, well, I told you there was some transition. Um, it, it was difficult. There was it was some difficult moments, and by the time I accepted that role, um, it was kind of far gone that I kind of had to rebuild. Mm. And maybe and maybe it needed to be that way. But but I didn't come in already having like a strong team. Like a lot of people left. Um, okay. And I kind of had to because you took too long to say yes. Yes, I took too long to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was able to get people uh, involved, like a small core group, and we were able to to rebuild and rebuild from there. Yeah, and I think I did that for maybe a couple years. I don't. I wouldn't say I, I was in that role for too long because I, I discerned that I needed to finish school, and my my ed, college education was really impacted by my time and energy and ministry. And thankfully, I was able to graduate with a religious studies degree at Santa Clara University in 2005. And then I thought at that time I was done with youth ministry. I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I did that already. I thought... Even though you got your degree in religious studies. Yeah. So what were you... Like, did you have a thought of what you were going to do? No. Actually, the reason why I chose that major is because I just wanted to finish school. Like I was like on a 10 year plan or a route. <laughs> and, um, and I just knew that I just needed to get it done. And my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, Shirlene, she just gave me some great words of wisdom at the time. She says, you know what, if you're going to continue to invest time and energy and money into studying something, like study what you love, what you're interested in. Don't pursue, cause you know, her, her life model is always do what you love. And at the time, what I loved was Jesus and the church. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what degree is uh, in uh, will will help me focus on that? And we did research. I didn't want to go anywhere far, so Santa Clara was the closest university, and they offered a religious studies degree. And yeah, I went for okay. it. And I actually academically did the best that I ever done <laughs> in school. Uh, you were more interested in it, right? Yeah. So okay. Yeah, so I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I just knew that I just needed to get my degree, period. So I thought I was done with ministry. And then uh, in late 2005 or early 2006, I get a phone call from a different pastor (laughs) by the name of Father Brendan McGuire, uh, who is a fairly new pastor at Holy Spirit Parish in Almaden Valley, South San Jose. And he says, uh, hey, I got a full-time youth ministry position open. Are you interested? So how did he get your name? Like, why did he call you? Oh, because we had uh, met during while I was at SMG still. Okay. Yeah, St. Mary Grady. Um, he had visited as a uh, to fill in, I guess, and preside our youth mass. Okay. He was so impressed by it. He went to our youth night, was so impressed by it, and that, that's, that was our first encounter. Okay. And we kept in touch since then. So when the position opened at his parish— uh, I don't know if he called anybody else, but but he definitely called me and invited me to consider. And the moment I hung up the phone, like it was as if a flame just ignited in my heart. And I knew that I was not done with youth ministry because I was so excited mm. and so like, heck yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go for this position. And I did. I applied, got hired, and that was my first full-time gig. Okay. So during those four years, and I know that Father Brendan they gave you a lot of support in that area. What were some of the biggest areas that he supported you in? Like, Yeah, I think first and foremost that he put his money where his mouth is. And he created a full-time youth ministry position at the time, which it was not common at the right. time. Because um, a lot of the youth ministry roles out there were either very part-time or volunteer-based. Volunteer. I was able to work with more than what I've had in the past. Um, so that was helpful. And I think for him, because he is the way he is, he's very business-minded, he's, he's such a visionary, uh, one who takes risks, he gave me freedom to be innovative, to be creative, to um, try different things. And, and he was involved in the process, which I loved. So for pastors out there who want to start youth ministry and, and want it to work and want it to be effective, I think... You can go a long way if you're involved in the process, if you're present to it, if you're committed to it, if you invest in it, time and resources. Then I think you're 
including ingredients for success. And I think that's what led to our success at Holy Spirit during the four years because we we pretty much started the ministry from scratch. All right. So moving into when you became an associate director at the diocese, that's a very different job. Yes. What intrigued you about that and then made you made you pursue it? Like, because I mean, uh, for those who don't know, like being an associate director or director doing a diocesan level job is vastly different because you are no longer really doing the in-person stuff with the teens. You're not directly working with a lot of them constantly. It's a lot more putting up with all the youth ministers in the diocese. Yeah. <laughs> like Deepu. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, the diocese were starting, was, start, was starting to focus on young adult ministry, which I always felt and believed that that was an unmet need. Mm-hmm. But because I was so focused on youth, it was kind of like a, a side thought or an afterthought and just didn't have the time and resources or the knowledge or uh, experience to to do that well. So uh, they created an office for young adult ministry. So there was two directors at the time. It was the director of youth ministry, which John Ronaldo was um, lead at the time. And then they hired a young adult ministry at the time. Father Brennan was also working at the diocese at the time as uh, vicar general. So he oversaw those two offices. So he brought me in to work with this director to help build young adult ministry because he he knew that this individual had certain strengths and certain certain charisms and that I was able to bring certain strengths and charisms that would complement that work well. And so he asked me to journey with this individual. And I think in that process, I don't know, it just ignited this desire and this passion to do more young adult ministry work and when that person left and that position was vacant but at that point i had already did a lot of praying discerning and i wanted that role (laughs) i don't know what the reason was but then they ended up merging the two offices right instead of having two separate they made it the uh, uh one office youth and young adult ministry i went for the associate director and i got it in 2010 and then Father Brennan had to suffer by now having Roe as the yes coordinator <laughs> of youth ministry. And then, uh, of course, uh, naturally, you were associate director, and then that flowed into becoming director once uh, John left. Mm-hmm. And then you stopped working there in 2019. Compared to the years that you worked as a youth minister at Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. this is full-time, and this is also a full-time job, compared to the years you worked in the diocesan office, what was something that you really enjoyed about more at the diocesan level that you didn't get or do at the parish level? And then what's something that you missed, that you missed doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily missed the work that I did at parish. The The value and I guess the positive, the positives of working at the diocesan was um, to, to be able to see that my role had a greater impact beyond mm. just a parish community. Okay. Um, that it reached further beyond that, uh, not just locally in the diocese, but also being involved at a regional level as well as the da- national level. And it just really broadened my mindset uh, and understanding of the field of youth and young adult ministry itself because it's big. It's big. And it's existed for a long time. And there has been work that's, as a parachute minister, you might not be exposed to that um, that is out there. And I think being a, a diocesan role, it really opened the doors and my eyes to a lot of that, uh, which I appreciate. Okay. All right. So you worked there until you said 2019. How was the last few months leading up to that or that process of when that stopped? I, I haven't really shared this publicly. I would share it in inner circles. I'm not afraid of the question and I'm not afraid of speaking about it. I want to make sure that I can speak about it with charity. There's several things, several outside factors that played into it, but more direct factors that really initiated this discernment to, to step away. But also it bled into... At the time, what was happening in my personal life, my family life. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I'll just mention one outside factor that 
has some influence, but it wasn't it wasn't a major one. But it kind of planted some 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 seeds, I guess. Uh, that that um, was a part of the discernment was transitions. So transition of the Episcopal leadership. So the Diocese of San Jose went through a transition. Uh, the bishop that we had served under for the past two decades was stepping down, and a new co-juror was appointed and became the new shepherd of the Diocese of San Jose. And internally, <laughs> we were informed that these transitions can have such a great impact on current staff because a lot of times when new leadership comes in, um, a lot of changes happen. And so I think part of the factor that played in, part of the factors that played into it was this sense of job insecurity. Mm. So was that something that I needed to be worried about? Because for me, I felt as if it was kind of a given, like at least the way I received it, it was like, it was, it was kind of a given. So, um, I felt like I just needed to be prepared. Okay, so that was one one piece of it. And the Department of Evangelization, which the Office of Youth and Young Adults was under, there was a lot of structural changes that occurred um, that just made me feel as if my time was up. Mm. And perhaps it was time for me to to pass the baton. And I, and you know, I talked this through with my wife, uh, Shirlene, and we had a lengthy discussion about this. And she, even her, in her heart, she felt like it was just better for me to to detach myself from that uh, situation. And so, um, and I wanted to be able to leave on my own terms before anything else would happen. So that's what led to that decision. And I even talked to my spiritual director too at the time, and he was also saying the same things. So I just felt like coming from two very important sources of my life, I felt that this was the, the right move for me. And so, yeah, by mid-2019, I discerned that, and I, I prayed about it so much. And in my prayer leading up to my decision to submit my resignation, I just felt a peace. I knew the road ahead was going to be difficult because it was complete detachment from everything that I've known. Um, for 20 years. And I really had no idea where I was going next. But I just knew that this was a decision I needed to make. I knew that it came at a cost. I knew it would affect my family initially in the beginning, but I knew that we were going to be okay because I felt this sense of peace with it. And that gave me the comfort and the consolation, the courage I need. I needed to to move forward with it thanks thank you thank you for sharing i know that's not easy yeah yeah <laughs> i think it was um i don't even i don't even want to go into details but uh, in terms of dates and stuff like that but i i remember actually it was actually after dyr <laughs> after dyr 2019 i went into the office first thing in the morning i had my resignation letter in my hand and i went and gave it to my superior at the time and that was that and I had my exit interview and a new, a, a, a chapter closed and a new one open and lots of things happened that kind of made it very challenging to accept that new reality because, you know, we, our lifestyle needed to change because we were one income. And I think, and this is where this decision bled into kind of my personal life, family life, because my wife, uh, Shirlene, was running a business at the time, full time. And um, she was kind of at capacity because she was just running it by herself. So it just seemed appropriate at the time for me to jump in full time and help her build that business. And yeah, and actually it was a blessing in disguise because we were able to build it uh, to the point where it was sustaining the both of us and helped us move out of San Jose because it's so expensive to live in San Jose that we ended up moving, uh, relocating to Northern California in uh, twenty. 21. No, 2022. Sorry. And so you've been there in Elk Grove. Yes. So I moved to Elk Grove for a year now. But before I get into, if I can, I know. Ah, You're okay? You're good? Sure. I mean, who knows? We'll see. <laughs> I think it's important for me to talk about 
the four years from 2019 to now 2023. Um, and I talked about that phase uh, that I termed uh, the phase of anonymity. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll just point out the most important piece uh, because there's a lot that happened of course, you know, pandemic, all that stuff. I'm not going to get into all that, but as it pertains to kind of my situation, having left the diocese in a career that I've known for 20 years, I went through identity crisis. Mm. <laughs> like I felt, and I felt it was, um, so not only was there kind of just the, the pain of detaching myself from the job that I loved and the people that I loved and the community that I loved, that was painful. And there needed to be a healing process. And I didn't know how long it was going to take me to heal from that. But I just knew that I was, I was going to, uh, I was going to be on a path of healing. Um, and then this whole time, like despite the trials and the challenges and the pain, the heartache of going through such a tra- uh, major transition, I never felt abandoned by God. I always felt his presence. I always felt his grace through it all. Um, and that's what I'm most grateful for during that time is just really relying on God during that time to get me through that. Because had it not been for God, I think, I don't know where I would be because it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty rough, rough period in my life. So I went through an identity crisis because I realized that I place my self-worth, my value so much on the work of God than being a child of God. And that was such painful, yet at the same time, liberating epiphany. Like I had to reclaim who I was as simply a beloved child of God. And that was enough because I was starting to feel like, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. You know? Where's, where's like, where's God leading me? Like, I, like, as if like, I need to get back into ministry work because that's who I am as opposed to no, no, just, just wait, just wait. You'll, you'll get there. I'll get you there, but just wait because right now you need to heal. And the reason why I say anonymity, because I read this book, which my amazing brother in Christ, Robbie Ocampo, uh, referred to me. It was called Anonymous. I forget the author's name. Apologize for that. I'll Try to That'd be remember. Really funny if it was written by anonymous. anonymous. <laughs> the person decided, like, I'm not gonna give my name <laughs> on this. <laughs> so just... Yeah, um, but it was it was just perfect timing because it spoke to what I was going through at the time. This idea of being removed, because uh, they talk a lot about transitions, but you know, transitions can can come in many different forms. But but the the one part of it that I really resonated with is being removed of something and being hidden. Oh. Yeah, being hidden in, the, hidden in the dark, not knowing what's next, being like having this cloud of uncertainty over your head. And I've had that cloud of uncertainty over my head for the past almost four years. Um, imagine that. But what I've learned from that book, which was so amazing, is that the author says, we think that because we're living in anonymity, that because we've been pulled away from something that we've known for so long or passionate about or invested so much into, and now we're hidden that God's grace is not working in our lives anymore. And she was saying that that's a lie. That's so far from the truth because the truth of the matter is that it's actually in those hidden years, hidden period, that the most grace happens. Yeah, I can can totally see that, yeah. And having lived that, looking back, I 110% believe that wholeheartedly um, because it was grace that led me to healing. It was grace that helped our family to get back on our feet. It was grace that led us to Outgrove, which was good for the business, which was good for my wife, which was good for my kids because we found them great schools. They were uh, started to thrive in those environments and they were able to make new friends, which is one of the things that we were so anxious about relocating because you know of our kids. So every thing was fine for everybody. I mean, which I'm happy for. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful you. except me. Yeah. I was like, okay, Lord, what about me? And, and I don't want to sound like I'm selfish in that I was, I was, I, w- I knew that I was going to be on this journey. I knew I was going to, it was going to take time, but all along it was Lord. My, my prayer has been Lord. I need clarity. Lord, help me to see where is it that you're calling me? 
And having been in Elk Grove for a year and coming from San Jose where I was so connected and had such a strong faith community, um, a strong, vibrant parish, to going to a place where I knew hardly anybody, don't have any connections or not a lot of connections, and not really finding a community to call home, I went through this sense of loneliness for a long time um, and a sense of longing for that. And it really it really affected me, like uh, mentally, emotionally. Um, spiritually, I mean, I was still, you know, God and I were, were, were still good, but, but I was just frustrated because I was wanting that clarity so bad. Yeah. Wow. And that's kind of been... I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a long time to go with that. To, to sit with that, you know, I think as, as fathers and husbands, you know, we're, 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 we're ultimately called to make sacrifices for our families and I'm trying to learn to do that better. And yet when I do it, like I only have so much time before I'm like, I need my time. I need, like, I need, like, I need to come back to like, look, look at myself and working on that. It's like, no, if I'm like, giving of myself I shouldn't be like oh, I'll give myself and then now I need my me time like that's not necessarily what it's about mm-hmm. but and so to go through that for four years like that's that's an incredible amount of time to to give to your family and to just to just to wait patiently or impatiently but still waiting like you know like there's that like are you waiting patiently well i waited yeah (laughs) exactly you didn't really have much of a choice but (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so uh that's crazy so um how did you decide that now taking on this new role at the diocese of sacramento sounding pretty much kind of like what you left in san jose Mm -hmm. how did you feel called to it and how do you do you have any anxiety of what happened towards the end of your time having a similar uh, experience? Mm-hmm. So I think the first question, how did I feel called to it? Actually, I didn't feel called to it until two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but what led to it, and again, this is just the movement of grace, providence, God, working in my life in mysterious ways that I just cannot comprehend, but he amazes me every single time. Um, but I knew that 2023 was going to be the year that I felt ready to get my feet back into ministry in some capacity. So I was kind of starting to dip my toes back into ministry um, because at this time I felt like I, I, I went through a lot of healing, um, a lot of growth and a lot of discernment. And I just felt like that itch to do something again. And I think that led to 2023, beginning of this year, where I one of my New Year's, I guess, commitment or goals or what have you is to get my feet back into ministry. Interestingly enough, my parish uh, where I go to currently has a director of youth ministry position open, and it was open for several months. And I knew from the beginning, and this was kind of where my mindset was last end of last year, because it was, it was vacant, I think, since the end of last year, that I was totally, you know, it was a no. Like I, w- I wasn't ready to go back into like a full-time professional ministry. So I just kind of ignored it. But it kept on, you know, it remained vacant for the longest time. And I'm like, then I was starting to question, like, okay, why isn't this position filled? It's like at my parish that I go to and I'm, you know, very impressed with their youth ministry program. And I want Lily to get involved into that. So... It just made me question, I'm like, okay, is God like telling me something that I'm just ignoring or rejecting? Mm-hmm. So I guess more and more I was trying to like figure out what God was trying to do. And even then I still felt like, I don't know, in my gut, it wasn't, it just didn't feel right. So I, almost as if I would, if I was to take it, it was, it, it wouldn't be fully discerned. It wouldn't be out of pure passion or pure excitement, you know, it would, it would have been just out of convenience. And then one day recently, <laughs> I get a phone call from the hiring manager 
who is the director for the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Sacramento, um, when the position was vacant and posted, he called me to ask me to consider this position or if I knew of anybody. And of course, at this time, I was going through all these, Mm -hmm. you know, movements and I was just like shocked. Like I don't know if I was just shocked at the fact that I received this call at that time from this person asking me to consider to apply or to consider to apply for this position that I had no idea. Like it was not even my radar that this position would be open anytime soon in the near future. Like so, and I, I don't. And I think even a few weeks before that, I don't even know if I was in the headspace to say yes to something like that. I was think I was just, I wasn't sure if I've even wanted to get back into that particular role. Um, but when this person called and said that uh, the person that was there previously and who was the one that connected me to all these people was the one that got hired as a director for youth ministry at my parish. <laughs> So they, wow. And I was like, no way. Like, and I was just like, this, it was just too, it was just too, I don't, I I even can't describe it. It was just too perfect, too aligned, too providential that this unfolded the way it did. And I was just, I was just shocked. Um, And I don't know if it's because he was the way he was interpreting, he thought I was going to say no. Um, so we hung up on that phone. And I was like, oh man, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I was just, I just can't believe this was happening. Oh, I have to backtrack. So, and I, you know, one of, one of my prayers during this whole discernment process, especially when it comes back, when it, when, when it came to, to working for the church again. So my prayer lately has been, okay, God, uh, first and foremost, I, I, I just ask for clarity. Just, just show me the way, where do you want me to go? And the second thing was, if you want me back in ministry, please make it crystal clear. Like, it, there can be no doubt. Like, I, I need, if you want me back in ministry, I, I need it to be very clear, 100% crystal clear to me that you want me mm-hmm. there. So I talked to Shirlene, and we had a long discussion about it. And we, you know, we were kind of already... N- had previous discussion in the sermon about uh, the possibility of some major changes in our situation. And she knew what I was going through. And she just said, can't get any clearer than that. Uh. And I was like, you're right. And I felt it. Next person I needed to talk to was my spiritual director. And he knew, obviously he, he walked with me through this whole journey of healing and growth and discernment. And he said, you can't get any clearer than that. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So, uh, so I knew my answer, and and I just knew that it was that moment that I felt called. Uh, yeah. So to answer your second question, I think for me initially, there was none of that because it was just pure excitement, mm-hmm. awe, wonder. I still feel it's surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, like I can't believe it's happening. Um. And I just know that it's just God's working and, and, and guidance through it all. So I'm, I'm still, I, see, I guess I'm still on cloud nine with that, but I know what I'm getting myself into. Okay. And is there anxiety? I, I wouldn't say there's strong anxieties. I just know that, I, I, just, I just know the environment that I'm going to be in, you know, and, and I'm hopeful. Like I'm, I'm excited. I, I know the people. I have, if anything, more hope and more positivity and optimism with this opportunity than I than I do any hindrances okay. like I just know that that you know having worked in diocesan work I know I, I know I know I know I know the landscape yeah like with any organization there's there's always a culture and there's always dynamics that that are normal that are normal that exist um, and we just have to be able to learn to navigate that with the discernment and charity. And for me, I don't know it enough to prejudge it. Cool. 
You know what I mean? So I'm coming into it with just great hope. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Steve, so much for doing this, for taking the time and for sharing your story. Really, really appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been incredible. I mean, I've known you for so long um, and I, there's a lot of your story that I've never really heard before. So yeah, I, I really admire your, your faith and your trust in God and your, your perseverance through all of these things. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Deepu. It was such an honor and it was just great to be able to share my story and hopefully this will help the listeners in some way. And I pray for that. Awesome, man. All right. All right. Peace out. That's the show, and thanks for listening. Podcast The Net is part of the collective known as Home Depot Ministries. You can find that collective of one person at homedepot.com. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you kindly and give you peace.